Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is the July 10th, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. We discuss here news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism. Ayn Rand's philosophy is the philosophy that supports, upholds, defends the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm Amy Peekoff, your host here, welcoming you, and I see a lot of our usual people over here at Blog Talk Radio in the chat room. Welcome to Craig and Freedom Breeze and John Roberts. Should I make the obligatory Chief Justice joke, or should we maybe stop that this week? Uh, just Jean is there. Mark, pig fan, Rob Abiera, selfishness. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Some more people are uh, coming in here just a, just a little bit late. Yeah, this show starts pretty much right off the bat, not the six minutes after the hour like a lot of normal radio shows. That's the beauty of internet radio. We are commercial free. Thanks to people who support this show, you know who you are. Um, so go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com if you want to see all the program notes that I have lined up for today's show. Really, I've got a couple questions that I want to talk about with you. And they're both questions that I'm not 100% settled on. And I actually want to hear from you and tell me what you think. The title of the show is, Is Ted Cruz the Guy? And that is uh, the kind of the main topic of the show. Is he still the guy? Excuse me. Um, We had here, right on Don't Let It Go Unheard, in September 2013, a show called is ted cruz the guy and it was right after ted cruz did his filibuster it wasn't really a filibuster but you know pseudo filibuster on obamacare on the senate floor where he talked about why obamacare is evil extensively for a long time and one of the works that he read from but the one that he recommended the most of all anything that he read while he was there was Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And again, if you go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, I did post the video of uh, Cruz on the floor of the Senate recommending that everyone go out and read Atlas Shrugged because he said, we are living in the age of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged right now. Um, Obama 2016 in the chat room says, Cruz can't possibly win. So he so he and many other people would argue that whatever debate we're going to have here about Ted Cruz is completely academic. That, yes, we could talk about whether we would still support Ted Cruz 
given recent events, which I'll talk about in a second, but nonetheless, he couldn't win. And in fact, what am I seeing? I'm seeing headlines right now that Trump, Donald Trump, is the one who's leading in the polls. Is it just because he's the Johnny come lately and he's saying some things that resonate with certain segments of the enthusiastic population? Uh, if so, I think this is something that's going to lose steam really quickly. And then we're actually going to be looking at the other more substantive, serious candidates. But we will see. Uh, Pig fan in the chat room says it's very smart for Cruz to side with Trump on the whole immigration thing. The headline that I saw was that Cruz agreed on this idea of sanctuary cities. That was the substance that I saw. But you can tell me if there was more to it. Uh, the two developments that have gotten people concerned about Cruz is one, Cruz's resolve to make same-sex marriage a central issue in the 2016 campaign, his run for president. Many of us believe that he should not make that any sort of an important issue and he should just let that issue be settled. The second is one that people have had more debate over. And it is Cruz's support for a constitutional amendment in which Supreme Court justices would be made subject to a retention election. So under the current system, the system that our founding fathers set up, the Supreme Court justices have life tenure as long as they are on good behavior. So they can be impeached for certain extreme things, but... Otherwise, you should just expect that they are there for life, and it's supposed to give the judiciary an independence that they wouldn't have otherwise. What Cruz has proposed is that they would be subject after eight years, I believe is the term, to a retention election. So it would be just, I guess, a popular election throughout the entire country, and you would vote. And I guess if a majority said he's okay, then he could say in there. Uh, State Defiance says, say what you want about Trump, but he's got an awesome comb over. It's really interesting. The guy's got so much money, and you think that he could do something a little better with his hair. But now it's become sort of a trademark, and I don't think Trump would be Trump without his crazy hair. So, um, yeah, Cruz is very much against sanctuary cities. And sanctuary cities, as I understand it, is the idea that even though immigrants are illegal in the sense that they haven't come here through, you know, proper federal immigration procedures. There are cities that say nonetheless that they will go ahead and just kind of, you know, turn a blind eye, wink, wink, nod, nod, and let them be free, that you wouldn't pick them up simply on an immigration charge. Uh, no, And that's what sanctuary cities do. Um, I think there's 30 some odd sanctuary cities, of course, San Francisco is notably one of them and that that is where um this poor woman was shot and now ignored by the media although i guess megan kelly did a good piece so that's good at least but really the big the big issues and the people the reason that some people are having some qualms about ted cruz recently is the issue of really making gay marriage same-sex marriage a central issue in his campaign many of us either you know, support gay marriage, or if we don't support gay marriage, some people don't support gay marriage, but they nonetheless think that Cruz shouldn't make it a central issue, uh, that that isn't something very good. For me, I support gay marriage, 
And I think Cruz shouldn't make it a central issue. It, the fact that he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't approve of gay marriage. It's not such a big deal to me. But the fact that he has resolved to make it a central issue in his campaign, I think, is self-defeating in today's cli- uh, climate. I don't think he should do that. Uh, he probably has, you know, personal and I think both political reasons for doing so. But the, you know, again, the thing that has disturbed people more is his support for the constitutional amendment subjecting Supreme Court justices to a retention election. And the argument is, is that all this would do is move us closer to what we are in effect having today, which is mob rule. We are already, uh, we've already changed the procedure for appointing senators, right? Senators are now just a popular election in their states. Uh, That procedure has changed from a more representative procedure of choosing your senators to a so-called democratic, you know, know, democracy where you just have a general vote and the majority wins. And now if we're going to do that with our justices, many people think this is too much democracy when in fact what we should be pushing is more of the elements that constitute a constitutional republic where we have a constitutional government, a government of laws and not men, where the government has limited power and it's limited by principle. The content of what government does is not supposed to be dictated by majority rule. Uh, State Defiance here in the chat room says, I met Ted Cruz last week. He's on board with our constitutional agenda, and he's our best hope of turning things around. Now, first of all, State Defiance, shame on you for not getting me my long-wanted, desired interview with Ted Cruz. I even posted online the questions I wanted to ask Ted Cruz. Of course, now I would want to push him a little bit more on this idea of a constitutional amendment, which has been brought up recently. I did see an article and I think I posted the link to it over again, go to the blog, don't let it go.com, all the links to the stories I want to talk about. And uh, Cruz made some remarks about he's sad that he feels like he has to support this constitutional amendment to limit the term of Supreme Court justices, or at least limit it if they can't pass a retention election. Uh, But he thinks that the majority of Supreme Court justices right now, I guess as evidenced by the Burwell case in particular, but probably also the Obergefell, however you pronounce it. I still haven't bothered to learn how to pronounce it. I'm terribly sorry that I didn't do that. I read it. I can spell it. I can type it. can't pronounce it. Um, But the same-sex marriage case, that these two cases are evidence of the fact that the majority of Supreme Court justices are, um, you know, basically uh, acting outside of their powers, that they are not acting within their constitutional mandate and authority and, you know, and their oath. They took an oath to support and uphold the Constitution. And instead, what they're doing is legislating. I saw some very strong language. And again, I uh, posted a link to this for you to check out over at the blog. It is... Um, Cruz again resolving, vowing to repeal every single word of Obamacare immediately after the King versus Burwell ruling. And um, that was on the Senate floor. It was about 10 minutes or so. It's worth watching because it will remind you 
why you really liked uh, Cruz in the first place. But, you know, when he talks about the fact that they're legislating, he says that if they want to legislate, what they should do is they should resign as Supreme Court justices and, in fact, run for office. That's what they need to be doing if they're going to legislate and rewrite a piece of legislation like Obamacare. Uh, He was um, visibly upset, very passionate, and still very articulate on this topic. So long story short, state defiance, I am open to this. But let me ask you this question, and I want to hear from you guys here in the chat room. Are you concerned that this constitutional amendment that he's proposing would, in fact, turn us into more of a democracy that we are now? that it would encourage mob rule? Or do you think that in today's context, it's precisely the sort of check and balance that we need to augment accountability of our government, that our government is out of control, and the only way that we can have at least kind of a further check that, in fact, there is the consent of the governed, namely us, is to have these retention elections. What do you think? Maybe Cruz should go next year to Ocon is what you're saying. Um, I am only about a quarter of a way through Cruz's book. and But one thing that I did at the very beginning is scan the index. And it's funny because he, you know, he's on the floor of the Senate. And remember, this is again, September 2013. He was on the floor of the Senate he talked about Ayn Rand being one of his heroes. I think it was in a different, the filibuster over the the drones, using drones against American citizens that Rand Paul had, and then Cruz got up there and supported him. I think that's when he said that Rand was one of his all-time heroes. And then in this other filibuster on Obamacare, he's reading passages from Atlas Shrugged. He's telling everybody they need to go read it. And yet in the book, not a single mention of Ayn Rand that I've seen so far. Oh, State Defiance says, Cruz's book is infuriating me. I had to put it down. How far did you make it in? I want to know because I'm enjoying the book so far, and I want to know what's infuriating you about it. Feel free to call in. I don't think you've called in before, State Defiance. You should call in. 760-888-5817 is the number if you want to call in and have a discussion about it. I'd love to know what is infuriating you about it. Is it the way that he set it up, you know, he's kind of juxtaposed a little in each chapter. He's got this introductory passage about some hot button type of issue, and then he'll go into history. That's what I'm, you know, his personal history is what I'm getting right now. But again, like I'm only a quarter of the way through it where he's in law school. So I want to know what you've got to say about that. Um, I like the book, but no, you know, Rand is not mentioned there. So the chance of him showing up at Ocon I would say about nil. Um, The other thing is, if he was so involved in objectivism, he would have been on this show by now. That's all I'm saying. Because I am, I think the one objectivist who's been out there really supporting him and eagerly courting him in terms of an interview, um, Yaron would do an excellent interview of Cruz. Yaron Brooke would do that. But I don't think he's as vocal a supporter. So, I I mean, I think he would come here. Obama 2016 in the chat room says, I think the odds of Cruz's amendment being ratified are near zero. So there's that, right? And there's a lot of people 
Oh, good. Great. State Defiance is going to get him on the show. That would be wonderful. I would love to have a good conversation with him. I mean, you know, smart guy, very well-meaning guy. And I think he honestly thinks that this new amendment that he's proposing is the thing that's needed right now. And I've heard arguments on both sides and I've actually made some arguments on one side, but I'm open to the other side. Um, but yeah, so th there's two different things to think about. One is, even if you think the amendment is a bad idea, you might think that he has no chance of getting that amendment ratified anyway. And so you would still support him for president because you think, practically speaking, no big deal. And you could say the same thing about same-sex marriage. Um, I would say he'd probably have very little chance of reversing the law on same-sex marriage or getting that amendment passed, right? Because, again, he's got an amendment about, um, I guess, leaving the issue of marriage to the states. Let the states go ahead and you know, discriminate against homosexuals if they want to. In effect, that's the amendment that he'd want there. Would he have much of a chance of getting that passed? I doubt it. Uh, but yeah, his really religiosity does bother me. And then a lot of people will say um, the things that he's talking about, he would like to ban abortion, for instance. Um, so far, all I've seen in his book is that he would like to not have the federal government fund in abortion inducing medications. So he's okay with birth control. He doesn't want to ban birth control, but he doesn't want the federal government to fund abortion inducing medications, you know, the morning after pill kind of stuff. That's fine with me. I don't want the federal government to fund that stuff either. Um, we know that he'd probably want to take things further though. He does have a number of pro-life exhortations in there. You know, he talks about, um, you know, for for instance, how his, I think his mother was very pro-life because she had lost um, an infant. So, um, but so anyway, so that's one thing you say, okay, well, you oppose some of the things that he is in favor of, but you think practically speaking, he's not going to be able to achieve those things you oppose. And he has a good chance of bringing into effect, for instance, the repeal of Obamacare that we so desperately need. So there's that. You could think about that. Or maybe you agree with the proposed amendments. Those are the kind of things I would like to hear from you. Um, most of my audience, practically speaking, probably agree with me that you would oppose the amendment that would leave to the states the issue of same-sex marriage. I would assume most of my listeners are fairly, but I know I know there are some listeners who oppose same-sex marriage, but most of them probably, uh, you know, agree with me and would support it and would think it would be a bad idea to have this amendment. But the I think where we would have more disagreement, more controversy, more you know well-reasoned arguments on both sides is where I've seen the discussion go on Facebook this week the issue of the constitutional amendment for judicial retention elections for Supreme Court justices. What do you think about this? I mean, do you think that maybe the founding fathers didn't quite get it right? I mean, you know, there's one thing to say on what principle is your government founded? Our government is founded on the principle of individual rights. Our federal government is supposed to be limited to certain functions tailored to guarantee our rights. 
it wasn't perfectly designed this way, right? There are some inconsistencies, but in general, that is the fundamental thrust of our government. That's one issue. You know, what what is it designed to do? What is the purpose that's supposed to be embodied by our government? And then the second is, how do you implement that? What is the system of checks and balances that you institute? Clearly, the Founding Fathers uh, believed, and I agree, Ayn Rand agreed, that you need a system of checks and balances to make sure that if you have a tyrant, say, Barack Obama, a would-be tyrant, um, that you would have some checks and balances, theoretically, to actually counter him. I heard an interesting statistic, uh, courtesy of Mark Levin, actually it was secondhand through a listener of Mark Levin, that Obama has had to exercise a veto only four times. We have a Republican majority in both houses right now, in the Senate and in the House of Representatives, and Obama's had to exercise the veto only four times, and not once on a repeal of Obamacare. This is disgusting, right? So this is the question for you. Do you think, okay, our system of checks and balances isn't quite working. We've got these justices. They are basically rubber stamping Obama. This is untenable. And that somehow if we subjected these justices to judicial retention elections, that that could improve matters, that could improve the extent to which our government is protecting individual rights. Or do you think it would just slide us more towards democracy in some unreasonable way. I mean, it, it is true that government is supposed to be at the consent of the governed. Is this a form in which we ensure that the governed have consented? Selfishness says, I think we have freedom of speech because we have an independent Supreme Court, right? And I've seen a number of people say, given the terrible state of the world in terms of the culture and political opinion throughout the world, that our Supreme Court, as bad as it is, as much as we complain about it, is operating remarkably well. And one of the places in which it's doing that is freedom of speech. You know, Megyn Kelly has had to remind people recently of how excellent recent rulings on freedom of speech actually are. State Defiance says that the next president is going to appoint somewhere between two to five justices. If we have another libtard in the White House, our goose is cooked. And this is where we could start talking about Donald Trump, which I really don't want to do until next week. But I've heard of him vowing to have a very long, vigorous campaign, potentially as a third-party candidate, and my comment, which I think I said out on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't tweet that much. So follow me, follow me. It's at Amy Peekoff. But sometimes I have good things to say. And sometimes I retweet people who say good things and share good stuff. But um, my one comment was, does he hate the country that much that he wants to insert himself and basically ensure that a libtard has state defiance in the chat room is calling it is going to win? Um, yeah, I, I believe that our, our goose is cooked if we're going to have another one. Uh, Craig says, I've never, I never have consented. I've never been asked. Yeah. I mean, is consent of the governed the thing that gives government authority in the first place, right? This is the argument against what Ted Cruz is doing, right? Because what Ted Cruz is 
proposing is something that would at least get you closer to a system in which our, you know, electorate, the citizenry, have consented to the federal government and in particular consented to what the Supreme Court is doing. Is that the way to go? Or do you say, look, our government does not get authority because of the consent of the governed? I mean, some people ask it as, well, how many people have to consent? Is this a supermajority? Is it what, you know, what makes a government valid? And what makes it valid is the principle on which it is based. It, you know, insofar as a government's purpose is to protect and defend individual rights, and insofar as it is faithfully executing its duty and mission according to that purpose, it has valid authority. It's legitimate. But is it the consent of the governed? Well, if it's not the consent of the governed, is consent completely irrelevant? It's really a good question, right? Um, I, consent clearly is not the thing that gives authority, right? Because people can consent to all sorts of bad things. But do you also have to at least make sure that consent is present? When do you have an objective government? And that and that is really the question. I was pretty convinced, uh, list, you know, looking at some arguments of some friends on Facebook, and I don't think they've made their arguments public, so I'm not going to talk about who, but, you know, this idea that you don't want an unlimited democracy and that this would be a major step in the direction of democracy. I mean, you know, democracy, again, just, you know, to review, is what got Socrates drinking the hemlock, the horrible injustice committed against Socrates and against so many others in, in these types of systems is made possible only because of an unlimited majority rule. Our founding fathers clearly rejected the idea of unlimited majority rule. But if you introduce this judicial retention election, are you taking a significant major step toward that so that our government today, which is already, you know, I think going a lot in that direction, uh, obviously we've got Obamacare. It's not like the constitutional principles are saving us today. Would what, you know, Ted Cruz is proposing, would that just move us further in that direction? Consent is a concept, says Mo here in the chat room, that occurs between two or more parties during voluntary contract or equivalent agreement. So we're getting the definition in here. Um, now let's see. Would he support the amendment? Would the support of the amendment cause a clash between the moral and the practical? Um, that there needs to be, be a distinction, excuse me, there needs to be a distinction, says Mo, between what the government has the capacity to do and what is moral just for it to do. And definitely we want to do that. We want to limit it by principle. Um, but what role does consent play, right? Can you say like objectivity, right? Objectivity is not just the thing in itself is a certain way, but it's also the recognition of that, right? So if you are 
introducing this element where you're saying, I want the consent of the American people to what our Supreme Court justices are doing. And you do this through a judicial retention election. Can you say that what it in effect is doing is it's introducing an element of basically understanding and recognition of the American people of what our government is doing. It's, it's, it's a level of accountability that would maybe bring some objectivity or is it a step towards majority rule? Consent of the voters could turn into mob rule, says Obama 2016, and that is the concern. But remember, we're not talking about a direct election of Supreme Court justices. We're talking about subjecting them to a retention election after eight years. That's what I recall the proposal being. So that they would have eight years of unfettered adjudication. Freedom Breeze says, I think consent is a slippery slope to mob rule. And State Defiance says, oh, the hell with it. I'm either voting for Bernie Sanders or Chris Krispy Kreme. <sighs> that would be just a horrible. I don't I don't even know. What would you do? Mo says, I only have the ability to consent to delegate certain rights. I don't have the right to violate them. Right. And that is the concern that people will vote out Supreme Court justices who are upholding the rights of a minority, for example, to their property. That's the big example. Suppose that you have a Supreme Court that's acting in a principled way to uphold the right to free speech, rights to private property. Free speech, of course, is a little bit more plausible today because our Supreme Court, by and large, is upholding free speech, but it is not really upholding property rights. So let's take free speech. So suppose you do, you subject them to judicial retention elections and we know that everybody out there right now is all bent out of shape whenever anybody does anything slightly offensive. In fact, we have a federal judge who just invalidated a trademark on the grounds of that trademark being offensive, deciding that the state is just not going to enforce the uh, Washington Redskins trademark. So imagine that that's really the sentiment in the country and that any Supreme Court justice who consistently upholds the right to free speech is going to be voted out after eight years. Mo says justices can become impeached. Jefferson was the first to do so, I believe. Now, my only concern is that I mean, you would think, right? And I, I, don't, I don't see Ted Cruz as somebody who would try to, you know, institute a whole new amendment unless he thought it was necessary. If he thought that the current justices could be impeached based on their current behavior, I assume he would propose it. And I haven't seen that. If you've seen it, let me know. I may have missed it. But... You know, if they, I don't think they can be impeached for what they're doing, especially not today. There are a number of people who think that the justices, given the precedent they dealt with, actually were reasonable in King versus Burwell. There's an argument to be made that King versus Burwell is really just one, you know, it's the way that he interpreted using the intent of the legislature is just one of a number of reasonable theories of adjudication that are out there. And when you do have an ambiguity within a statute that a judge 
you know, a justice like Roberts can go ahead and do that. And what you might say is you say, look, you know, you have a piece of legislation that embodies the current dominant philosophy, ideology, altruism. In fact, altruism is the title of a book that I keep seeing on uh, bookstore shelves everywhere. Everyone's putting up pictures right now of Peter Schwartz's book on selfishness. And then in some places they show it right next to a book that's just called altruism. So you have in, in defense of selfishness and then right next to it, a book called altruism. But altruism, the idea that the moral is the giving up of a higher value for a lesser value or a non-value, altruism, sacrificing yourself to other people as the good, that's the dominant ideology. Obamacare embodies it fully. And do we expect, you know, some very clever legal argument based on the language of a piece of legislation that was hastily put together of thousands of pages long and had an inconsistency. Do we think that's really going to win the day? Should we expect that to win the day today? I mean, you you know, the biggest answer to all of this is that we need to change the culture because if we didn't have a mob mentality that wanted you know, to outlaw anything that offended them, uh, that wanted to make sure that everybody's property was fairly distributed regardless of who produced it. If we didn't have that kind of mob mentality that thought that that was a good idea, then we would be much better off and we wouldn't be talking about, you know, do we need to put in an amendment like this? State Defiance says, I think the Dallas Cowboys should lose their trademark. I mean, what about all the cowgirls? The cowgirls don't have a team. I'm totally offended. The cowgirls don't have a team. There is no team called the cowgirls. I mean, they should make their own team is probably what some people would say, right? Um, but what do you think? Call in 760-888-5817, 760-888-5817. If you think that Cruz is, you know, kind of going into dangerous territory here by supporting an amendment like this, by promoting and, and proposing it in the first place, then what do you say about him being, as far as I know, the only one who is consistently over time, vowing to repeal every single word of Obamacare. So I put that to you, you know, you might think that you disagree with this amendment, but you might think as some people here in the chat room have, uh, you know, stated that even if that amendment's a bad idea, the chance of him actually getting it ratified are very low. And the value of, uh, you know, repealing Obamacare is so huge. I give you one article in there, and it's from Huffington Post. The headline is, The Choice Ahead, A Private Health Insurance Monopoly or a Single Payer. So they might be the first, you know, major news outlet to put up a piece explicitly saying that this is already on the horizon now, today. Did you think it was going to happen this fast? There have been, in the past several weeks, articles about two different impending mergers. I know that one of them is between Anthem and Cigna. Anthem is trying to take over Cigna. 
and I think at first they did an unsuccessful offer, and then now it's they're still in talks about this. And then there's another merger between two major health insurers, and I can't remember who it is, but the point is, is that there's already this consolidation, this consolidation that's being made necessary due to all of the extra costs and expenses imposed by Obamacare, all the restrictions on the health insurance market. The only companies that are going to be able to withstand the heavy regulatory burden of Obamacare are going to be very large consolidated insurance companies. So Huffington Post, oh gosh, we never would have anticipated this, right? Um, They're saying, oh, this is so bad. Your choices are a private health insurance monopoly, which of course we all know is bad, bad, bad. Or single payer, and the single payer, of course, the best single payer would be the government, right? So I do have a few callers here. I'm going to go ahead and take them in order. First, hello, who's this? Hello, uh, Amy? Yes. Hello? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Amy, hi, John Kenny here. Hi, John. So are you calling to say Carly, Carly, Carly? Uh, yeah, well, I'm all for her, but uh, mm-hmm. we're talking about the Supreme Court, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what? what's really disappointing about the Supreme Court is how utterly unqualified the last few uh, justices were, Kagan and Sotomayor. Now, you know, if you compare those appointments with, say, going back 80 years to the, to the great jurists of the past who actually wrote stuff, you know, whether you agree with them or not, like Charles Evans Hughes or Felix Frankfurter or Oliver Wendell Holmes. Right. These two that we got are nowhere near. They, they couldn't polish the shoes of, of the great jurists of the past. Would you agree? You know, I haven't looked at all of their qualifications, but I assume, I mean, in general, would you say that our society's been dumbed down? So well, yeah, it, that, it that, might, that, might, we might just be following, I, I, you know, we might be following the trend. But, you know, every single generation says that. It's like, oh, the good old days and everyone was, and we always I, decry all of the modernity and say everyone today is so stupid. So, uh, you know, I always wonder how much of it we are just having this well, nostalgia. Well, I, I, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's always quoting Oliver Wendell Holmes. Nobody's going to be quoting Elena Kagan or Sotomayor. I, I mean, quoted uh, Sotomayor. <laughs> did you? I sure did. Uh, I sure did because she has a concurrence in United States versus Jones where she calls for the reconsideration of the third party doctrine, which is one of my topics that I will not get onto right now, I promise. But right, right. So, so yeah. she was actually pretty astute in pointing out some inconsistencies in what Scalia has been doing with the Fourth Amendment and saying, hmm, it looks like we might, you know, and of course, maybe she doesn't think it really should be reconsidered. Maybe she does. I I think she kind of does. I don't think she thinks it's realistic that it should be, but she sure started to call that into question. I'm hoping that they're going to do something major to the third party doctrine. I'd love them to eliminate it, but, you know, but yeah, so I I quoted her, but I mean, maybe I'm not, I'm not qualified, right? Well, I, mean, I would just think um, if I were on the, the panel so, uh, you know, examining these people, I would want them to have written a book. And I would mm-hmm. ask them very you know, philosophical questions on the philosophy of law. 
And in what I've seen, nobody did that. And uh, I was not too impressed. I'd have to vote against uh, against these characters as they're com- coming along. But uh, as far as the law goes, I don't think it's going to make any difference. Um, you know, if you look back in history, there were some good things and some bad things. You know, like the, the intent was to uh, have these guys retain the spirit of the Constitution while the Congress is off doing something goofy. You know, right. the Supreme Court would, would pull them back to the Constitution. Now, that didn't work in 1859 with the Dred Scott decision. That was a disaster. Uh, but mm-hmm. in the early 1930s, it worked beautifully. You know, when FDR was going crazy with the New Deal, at right. least at first, the old guys, Charles Evans Hughes and those guys, were uh, ruling unconstitutional to the New Deal. And that right. worked for a few years. So that's The good old, the good old Lochner years. era. Yeah, yeah, and eventually, you know, FDR tried to pack the court. Mm-hmm. He didn't uh, win on that, but eventually, these guys either changed their mind or uh, retired, and and they got the New Deal through. But as, as I remember, um, I wish Mark Levin were here. Uh, historically, the uh, Jefferson did not really like the idea of a Supreme Court overturning laws. I mean, he was Jefferson was very much pro legislature. He thought. That's where the voice of the people is. And I think he was at, at odds with John Marshall when Marshall right. kind of el- just elbowed his way in and said, no, we're doing it this way, and we're gonna, we are going to have the uh, ability to overturn laws. Well, and I've heard I've heard that Hamilton, I've heard that Hamilton was actually pretty good on, on that as well, but um, that's just secondhand, so I have to go do more research myself. Yeah. Well, um, so let's see. What else are we talking about? No. So, so what do you uh, what I, do you I, think? I mean, do you think that if we brought in this amendment where we subjected Supreme Court justices to a retention election, that that would lead us down the road toward mob rule in a dangerous way? Yeah, most likely. Well, I think we're in the uh, bureaucratic tyranny. I don't know if it's mob rule, but it's. Uh, the mob gets told what to think by this regime, frankly. You know, right. They're, they're bureaucrats. We're nowhere near a democracy in that 99.99% of all the decisions of government are made by bureaucrats. They just dictate, you know, right. um, him and, and the president. In fact, here in Nevada, we just got a whole bunch of land stolen by Obama just today. Uh, wow. Just, you know. A whole bunch of that. Now, all the presidents do this. They think it's cool to to grab land, especially out west, uh, you know, for their legacy or whatever. Uh, just blatant theft. So, uh, but uh, I don't know if uh, democracy as such or, or mob rule is the word. I think it's just tyranny of the bureaucracy and maybe tyranny of the judiciary. But well, and and that's what some people are complaining about. They're complaining about a tyranny of the judiciary where the judiciary is ceding its role to the legislature and the president, in effect. Um, You know, as as I recall the way Ted Cruz put it, he says he says basically our Supreme Court joined Obama's team and just ratified Obamacare and, and he shouldn't have done, yeah. you know, they, they shouldn't have done that is what he said. And, and well, because know, they're not yeah. doing their job, we need to, we need to introduce this amendment. 
Well, that could be, but you know, I'm thinking some of the arguments, some of the legal things they were saying made no sense. I'm, it, it was like they're making these crazy arguments to push the decision back to the legislature. I mean, you could call that Jeffersonian. You know, I right. think that's what Thomas Jefferson would do. He'd make right. up crap, and you know, like Roberts' arguments were crazy, and uh, uh, Anthony Kennedy nuts. But I think they were just trying to push the whole thing back to uh, the list. Well, I mean, crazy exactly. I don't know. I mean, so Roberts, in effect, as I understood him, said, look, there is this ambiguity. We don't have the proper, um, like a conference report or whatever that we normally would, of course, because Obamacare was just rammed through the wrong way. And so when he's going to resolve the ambiguity and try to divine what the intent of the legislature is, then he looks at other elements, the overall structure of the legislation. So in some places it said exchange created by a state or in other places it said exchanges, including the federal ones. And so we can assume that. And then he says also, of course, we have to assume, we of course have to assume that the intent of the legislature in this case was to improve the market for health insurance, not to destroy it. I mean, to me, that's the worst assumption that he made that, because that it is it is completely a hundred percent patently obviously true that the intent of so many who voted for Obamacare, the intent was to destroy the market. And Robert Reich is the one who wrote this Huntington, you know, excuse me, Huffington Post piece that I was just telling you guys about you know, the choice ahead of private health insurance monopoly or single payer, I bet he couldn't wait to put this piece out there at the slightest hint that the health insurance market is starting to consolidate as all of the, you know how, um, like the newspapers, they are said to have had uh, written the obituaries of all the famous people already while they're still alive so that they're ready, you know, when the person dies to just like release it out there into the world, right? They've got it written. So, um, I guess Omar Sharif just died or something, right? So you just, uh, you know, dust it off. It's in the file and you put it out there. And Reich wrote this piece, I bet you, a long time ago and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to have the most per perfectly awesome polished opinion piece all ready to go as soon as there is the hint that these, you know, uh, insurance markets are consolidating as we know they have to because our goal is to destroy it when then we'll be ready to pounce in and say look it's time for single payer they can't wait you know yeah. they just they they can't wait and um the you know for for roberts that to me that is the single most inexcusable thing that he wrote in the whole opinion is for him to make the assumption that they wanted to improve the health insurance market. They didn't want to improve right. the market. They wanted to improve, quote unquote, access. They wanted just to give people, quote unquote, health care. And, you know, you couldn't even call it an insurance market anymore. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that whole consolidation idea, there's, there's plenty of that going on in all of the industries. I think that's an effect of the uh, Bernanke yelling funny money system you know you can you can acquire another company with just a few dollars down and then leverage a billions you know uh, from from the Federal Reserve to acquire another company you know if, if you if you spot one so 
Uh, that may be going on anyway, but then again, you have to ask, well, why aren't there uh, some new companies coming up trying to uh, you know, take advantage and profit in this new environment? And I don't think there are any. No, and, and I think the reason is, is startup costs are prohibitive. And with all the increasing regulatory burden um, and the increasing costs, only the ones that are already up and running and have figured out how to, you know, kind of game this system are the ones that can survive. Um, I mean, there may be somebody new who can come in. Uh, I know that there are some new healthcare technologies on the horizon that can make things a lot cheaper and might, in fact, save you know, the health insurance market just by reducing costs so much. So this is, um, uh, Theranos is uh, the one that's going to basically make blood tests so much cheaper, easier, more uh, accessible. Um, so thing, you know, technologies like that have the potential to decrease costs. But then, of course, you know, there's a whole bunch of new technologies that are going to be more expensive too. So that'll probably balance it out. Everybody's going to want, you know, the latest and greatest technology. So okay, well, um, let me get off the line. You can you can uh, talk to somebody else, okay? But but so overall, to su- to to summarize your view, oh. you do think it would move us a bit towards mob rule, and you'd be against it, or you're not really strong one way or the other. Uh, I'm uh, not strong one way or another. I'd uh, I'd abstain if I had to vote. But uh, but none but nonetheless, you would support you'd support Carly Fiorina over Cruz. Yes, because uh, I think I mentioned last time, <clears throat> the electorate is so stupefied by generations of government education that millions of people are going to be voting for Hillary just because she's a woman. Right. Now, I don't think Ted Cruz has a chance, even though he's much smarter, because he's, uh, he's a white guy. Even though he's Hispanic, he's been smeared already by the left as a white Hispanic. Okay. And, right. and the Democrats have such an advantage in the Electoral College because they get all the big states, the West states, Massachusetts, Illinois. Um, I don't see that uh, Ted has a chance, even though he could wipe her, uh, wipe her clean in a, uh, in a debate. So that's why I'm, I like Carly. She's not afraid to attack Hillary. She's smart. I like her ideas. And we have to offset that female thing. See what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe we could do a cruise for Arena thing, but we'll see. <laughs> yep. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing that at all. Thank you very much, John, for, for okay. calling in again. He's got kind of a, a track record going here. Now we do have another call. I'm gonna go ahead and pick it up. Hi, who's this? Hello? Hello, who's this? Bosch. Bosch. So are you calling from Comic Con? Yeah, I'm at the um, at the free speech event, which is displaying my uh, mama cartoon, uh, 40 feet by 60 feet, I think, mm. uh, behind me, and uh, it's packed with uh, supporters of free speech, and uh, it's pretty awesome. Beautiful. And, and yeah. <laughs> and there's all. We got to get that in there. That we got got to let people know that this is sarcasm, right? Um, yeah. so you'd say the possibility of having your Muhammad cartoon displayed at Comic-Con this year, uh, what percentage chance would you give it? As much a, a chance as Marvel and DC are begging me to work for them. Okay. Yeah. Which is about 
zero. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to call in to say that I, I want to complain because New York Times is keeping my uh, comics and my book off its uh, bestseller list. You know, this is another thing that we do need to talk about. I've got it on the list for the program notes for today. Again, everybody, if you haven't gone, go to don'tletitgo.com and check out the program notes because one of the stories is the New York Times decided that even though Ted Cruz would have been, what? what is it? It's like he was, he would third. have been second or something? Third? Well, yeah. Third. So he would have been, he, he would have been third on the bestseller list with his new book, A Time for Truth. They kept him off the list with this idea that somehow um, he was trying to game the bestseller list, I guess, by having organizations buy a lot of copies or things like this. Just for record, politicians have done that. And the publisher came out and said, no, we made a complete investigation, no dice whatsoever. And Barnes right. Noble, he's on that bestseller list, and they do not do bulk order. You know, they, 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 they reject those. So, but the New York right. Times, it doesn't matter why, they have to have Cruz off of their list. It's 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 unseemly to have that Cruz on their list, you know. You know. They'll yeah. they be they'll be brought down and they couldn't they couldn't tell their friends in their cocktail dinners, uh, I mean, Cruz is on your list. Why? Even if he deserves it. Now see, why? this is this is the sort of thing that you need to kind of revive just before all the primaries and stuff. Because it really gives you sympathy. Whatever your misgivings are about a particular candidate, and I don't have so many misgivings about Cruz, but I have some ones that are significant, right? Um, But I know that there were a number of people with respect to George W. Bush who became a lot more sympathetic when the media tried to smear him just before the election. Yeah. And I, I forget what it, it was. It the thing about his past with the drugs or something that they did? There I was think so. and then also a, his, some uh, story they released in the most vile way, like just before. They, and there was some inaccuracies when movie, too. When they, also, when they made a movie about his assassination, they made a movie about that and they celebrated it. And people were like, well, "Are you kidding me? This is just beyond the pill. It's way out of line." Now he sucked as a president, but that is completely evil. You can't do that. I mean, make a movie, celebrate it, and call it art. If you made a movie about Barack Obama, the assassination, the assassination of Barack Obama right. today, the same right. people would say, "Oh, it's art. It's it's you know, it's no. freedom, right?" Oh, no, yeah. they would scream bloody murder. So, credibility of New York Times in the tank. I have been Absolutely. subscribing. I've been subscribing to the electronic version of the New York Times recently, and I am thinking I might want to discontinue just because of this. Look, but then the question is, what what media what media outlet can you subscribe to anymore and not get angry at? I don't know. I don't I know. Don't know. I don't Washington people, Post is not know. behind a paywall, and they have Vala Conspiracy, so that's kind of cool, right? They, they do. The Washington Times, yeah. the Times is pretty good. Uh, but in consistency, I don't know. Washington I Times is, is sometimes annoying to navigate, though, with all the ads. Yeah, it is. Um, and also, it, all the... Black, it also, it looks like it's redacted sometimes. You're like, I, I can't read this article. It's like a redacted article. It's all blacked out. You're like, I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, and you, you try to click on something you can't. It, it is. And and the, the whoever it is who designs the website needs to, to do something. The New York Times website is beautiful. It works wonderfully. I can stick it in my Feedly and, you know, get articles and stuff like that. But I am... 
pretty upset about that. I mean, th and and some people, State Defiance here in the chat room says, who cares what the bankrupt idiots think? People will still read the book. And that's true. But can you imagine yeah, if, 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 you, if your connection to the, if your connection to, you know, what are the books that are worth reading is out there, you look at the New York Times bestseller look, list and you don't see look, Cruz's book on there when it deserves to be there. You might not I read it imagine. when you should read it, right? In the, in the editorial meeting, I can imagine they said, look, Cruz is a bestseller. We cannot have him on our list. So what yeah. can we say to keep him off? Uh, let's say he made bulk orders. Okay, good. Uh, they lied. They lied. Even political picked it up. BuzzFeed picked it up. And they're saying, they're sending stories out there contradicting the New York Times. You know, and that's yeah. a, a no-no, right? Now, Rob, Rob says, I need to learn how to aggregate, which is, I need to learn how to aggregate news stories. Is that the idea? So that I can yeah. get news out to people? Um, who's a good aggregator is what Pamela Geller aggregates a lot of news stories. Yeah, she does. I think that's what you mean, right? You, you mean that, Rob? Yeah. Put them all together. Okay. I mean, uh, link to them. And also, one thing I, I like about those uh, those. Uh, Websites is they have their own take in a paragraph or two, and then they link to the story. It's like Robert Spencer right. on John Watch. He always adds the best stuff and then links to the actual story. Well, and he always anyway. adds a really fun angle to to his oh, stuff yeah. too. So, so I'll let me let me ask you, Bosch. Well, no, I want to ask you the the question of the day. Um, I, I did have another call before actually, but the person hung up. So okay. I'm hoping, um, you know, again, I did have three calls on at one time before and. I think I, I'm not sure which was which was second. I just know I picked up first first, but um, in any event, I hope they call back. Uh, so let me ask you the question. So the question is, what do you think? Supreme Court retention elections, big jump know. towards I mean, democracy. I, I don't know. I I know that as you were pointing out, the fact that we are in such a impossible place <laughs> that. Right now, anything different seems almost good, but eventually, you know, I think that has to change. I mean, if we were a healthier country, the the uh, the rules that were put in would work, but clearly they don't. I mean, they our government ignores the Constitution. The Supreme right. Court is full of absolute hardcore agenda-driven leftists, and even those on the right lean left. Some of them, like this guy Roberts. I mean, he's just twisted. I mean, he's. Uh, He's, you know, he's not well in the head. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about about what Cruz is saying, but I, I do know that I think he's looking at it now. I hope it's not just the gay marriage thing that really made him do this. I just, I really hope because if that, if that's the case, then it's just he's making that dominate him to the point where he's going to bury himself in it and not right. have a chance in hell. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I, def I definitely was impressed with his speech, again, renewing his vow to repeal every single word of Obamacare. It yeah. was it was well, definitely passionate and convincing. Thing, yeah, there's one thing that he did, though, in that speech that I'm a little off about. I mean, I, I, I called Barack Obama on it. I called Michael Savage on it when they start to whisper. And I'm like, uh oh, oh, right. Uh-oh, because when people start to whisper in the middle of their speeches, I think they're saying things that they know are not quite up to par, if you understand what I'm saying. Do you they remember what he was saying when he whispered? Do you remember no, which part no. of it? Now, no, I don't, I don't know okay. him to be dishonest. He has a book called The Time for Truth. You know, He's a politician, though. And I just I can't stand 
whenever Barack Obama does it, it's because he's lying a big way. He's telling a real big whopper is when he starts to whisper. Like when he says, right. I love this country. When he says, I love America, you know? First of all, he's never said it. He says, we love this country. He speaks in the collective we, you know? Sure, uh, sure. My, and Michael Savage also did that. He starts to whisper. It's like, okay, he's BSing right now. And, right. <laughs> I mean, that's been my, my take, so I don't know. I hope I hope he's not, but I can't stand that. Do you have Do you have time to make another judgment call before you have to go? Sure. Okay, so here's another story where you need to make a judgment call, and it is the one that we talked about briefly last week: the Sweet Cakes Bakery issue. Mm-hmm. Remember the bakery yeah. in Oregon that was charged the hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars, and they got all the sympathy in the world. Yes. Well, well, and here, so here's the thing. So the the story was that all they did was politely refuse to bake the cake for the lesbian couple, and for that they were paying the hundred thirty five thousand. I have a link to a story at my blog. I actually thank Deborah, um, who I follow on on Facebook. Uh, for giving me this story, but it, it the headline says "Sweet Cakes" by Melissa didn't just deny a lesbian couple service; they also doxed them and their kids. So I learned a new vocabulary word today, which was doxed, D-O-X-X-E-D, and what it means is to just publish and put address and names and everything out there. And this is the story that, first of all. Um, and I actually read the court's findings of fact on this. Okay, so I looked at the court ruling and looked at the findings of fact, and then of course the conclusion of law. I mean, granted, we're in this context that's completely invalid, where if there is discrimination, this lesbian couple should not be able to go run to some government body and come back yeah. and you know charge them with anything or have them pay any sort of fine or anything. There shouldn't be any legal action taken against this bakery but you know just you know given that this couple did go to the regulatory board in the state of Oregon and file this complaint and then there was going to be this action what happens is the complaint and the identity of the complainant including the address and contact information of the complainant is sent to the bakery right and what the bakery did is just publish the entire thing, including all the personal contact information and home address and everything of the couple out there once this was done. And that included, that means there were some kids involved, kids who were in the process of being adopted by the couple, and they were also subject to ridicule and harassment and everything else. The other thing that this bakery did, so what happened was, one of the two women in the couple were, uh, went to do the cake tasting and she went with her mother, right? And her mother had just recently, I guess, come to terms with the fact that her daughter was homosexual and was going to get married. And, you know, so now that she's settled with this, they're going together to the bakery to taste the cake and they taste it and they choose the cake and everything. And then when they start talking about, you know, what's the name of the bride and the groom that we're going to be writing on this, then she says, well, it's actually two, you know, brides and here's the names. And then they say, oh, no, we don't do that. And so they leave, you know, the, the daughter, the one who was going to get married, 
you know, takes the mother out and she's horrified. She's crying and everything. Well, you could imagine, right? Because she had no idea that she was going to be rejected. So they're leaving. And then I guess the mother went back in and tried to talk to them and say, you know, look, I used to, you know, have problems with this, but I've learned to settle it because I've got my kid and, you know, I love her and, you know, whatever she was trying to talk to the baker. So then apparently the bakers, they started reading to her out of the Bible. I guess it's Leviticus where they say that, you know, it's horrible and you're going to go to hell if you are homosexual and everything else. So they did that to the mother. Right. And of course, then the mother goes and tells the kid and the kids traumatized even more. And then, you know, it goes on and on. So it's not quite the, oh, they just kind of politely refused and whatever. And and that gave rise to the $135,000 fine. Mind you, there shouldn't be any legal consequence for discrimination. No. But, but the reason for the steep award is because of the way that they did it, you know, basically saying that they were abominations and quoting from Leviticus, which is basically, you feel like you should have never been born. Yeah. Why send their address out there? It it, it gives that address when it goes public, it gives sick, you know what, an idea like, wait a minute. Uh, These people live here. Why would they send it out there? I say they're they're looking for trouble. They're not looking for anything. There's there's no good to come out of sending people's addresses out there. Very, very malicious. Very malicious. I mean, we are living in a supposedly civilized society with one another. If we have disagreements, we should be able to state our disagreements politely. And there's no purpose in, you know, quoting condemnatory Bible verses at somebody so that, that, you know, that was part of it. And then certainly not putting the address out there, especially there's, you know, kids and everything else. They don't know whom they're putting at risk when they do no. this. So all my, my point is that this, this, this bakery is not quite as sympathetic to me as they used to be. Again, mind no. you that I don't think that anything sh- legally should have happened yeah. to them. You can understand in the context but of today why say, the no, fine they, was as steep well, as it was. When they threw their when they threw their address out there, um, they're they're looking to do something. They're looking for someone to do something. They're looking to harm them somehow, in right. some way, and that should be uh, dealt with. Illegally. Right. I mean, let's 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 uh, switch it to the context of you know a legitimate crime. So. Suppose somebody shoplifted something from your store and you happen to figure out that, um, you know, you knew what their address was or something. You've, you, find, you found it. Maybe they accidentally dropped their driver's license or something when yeah. they were rushing out with the shoplifted material, right? So you put that out on Facebook, yeah. right? Yeah, the person did something wrong, but that's yeah, really but not you, what you should you, be doing. You should be leaving no, all of the repercussions for court proceedings, yeah. right? You said right. you said it to the cops. I know the address of this uh, guy robbed me. Right. It said, you know, to send it there. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, I, you know, I don't get it. To send addresses out there. Yeah. You know. So yeah, so it definitely makes it not quite. It is it is not the uh, the poster child case for religious freedom. Let's just say. I mean, you know, fortunately, I don't have an address. I live on the street, so no one can send my address <laughs> out there. But for people who do have addresses, you know. Don't don't you just live home. permanently at Comic Con? Yeah. I mean, just kind of camp out there forever. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. camp out all year round, then you're always going to be the first in line. 
right? You know, they uh, they had a real celebratory thing to honor me uh, for uh, the award and for <laughs> standing up for free speech. It was really cool. Harrison Ford was there applauding me and others. You know, right? It was really cool. Arnold Schwarzenegger okay. and uh, yeah. Downey. Now we've got one one more contentious issue to talk about this evening and you know i can't believe these are Let me i mean t- one one cartoon i saw today blew me away okay sure sure go ahead it's a cartoon of isis scum about to behead these innocent victims right and one victim is about is telling the other victim i don't want to sound islamophobic but and then the other guy says stop right there my friend you might inflame the situation <laughs> yeah that's where we are these guys are killing us left and right. Our powers are destroyed. Thousands of us killed every single day, and we don't want to inflame the situation. Anyway, well, and uh, and of course, if it's by S. Pooner or Spooner, I don't know. It's like an S and a little space. Spooner, the cartoonist. Spooner. So you've you've else, you've shared it out there on Twitter and Facebook oh, yeah. and such. Okay. Yeah, so people can follow you follow you at Bosch Boston and, and go find uh, that cartoon, see it for themselves. Motive power at at Motive Power on Twitter. Tweet it to me. And it's just okay. Great. Yeah, at Motive Power shares a lot of good stuff on Twitter as well. So yeah. hat tip to Motive Power. Um, the Saudi prince Bin Talal yeah. Yeah. is try is trying to make it even more <laughs> the case that if you you know criticize or say anything against Islam, you will be labeled Look, an Islamophobe and ostracized. Listen, he's sending a thirty-two billion dollar nuke of lies about Islam into the yeah. world. And so the big story, job. and again, you know, go, yeah, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. I've got the IBD editorial. Uh, the headline is Arab, Arab Bill Gates yeah. could turn Sharia creep into full trot. There's a big now, difference between Gates, this guy and Bill Gates, right? Of course. Bill Gates created his wealth. This guy adopted it from who knows what. He's a prince. Right. He stole it from the West and their oil and all that crap, and this guy is not worth anything. And so this, this, I mean, let's just wait, but analyze, analyze that choice, right? Because they're calling him an Arab Bill Gates. Yeah, and right. And also to, Arab, to, to us, Muslim, to right? us, right? To us as objectivists, the thing that is essential about a person is what they create. So do we think that Bill Gates is the best, most awesome creator in the world? No, we have our qualms, but no. um, I mean, we, but, you know, and, and mostly because he's kind of caved into the duty for charitable yeah, yeah. giving. He's pushing common core, right? So there's, but, you know, to IBD, when they compare this Bin Talal to Bill Gates, they're comparing based on what they yeah. think is no, no, a fundamental a fundamental similarity, which is to have foundations and give a whole lot to charity, right? Yeah, but to us, yeah. Bill Bill Gates and Bin Talal are completely different because Bin Talal completely. is just living off of oil money that he shouldn't have access to, and Bill yeah. Gates actually created something in order to get yeah. all this money that he wanted to give away, right? I mean, Bill Gates and those Steve Jobs, hell no. But man, compared to Bin Talal, he's uh, he's a god compared to Bin Talal. But one second, um, Bin Talal. Just for record, this guy owned six to seven percent of Fox News for years, right? Right. He was one of the guys who bragged publicly because uh, some Fox News reporter messed up and called, uh, I think, uh, the jihadist jihadist, something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. So he made a phone call and they called him insurgents or something like that, and then they fixed themselves. And he bragged about this. This is mm-hmm. public. 
And okay. also, uh, he uh, offered $10 million to Rudy Giuliani, right after 9-11, $10 million, right? And suggested maybe we should reconsider our foreign policy. And Giuliani said, get the hell out of here. He basically rejected that $10 million. Rejected that money. So I remember that. Rejected that yeah. So now, so now what he's going to do is he is going to give $32 billion, billion with B as in boy, and $32 billion is, and and the whole purpose of this is going to be to, quote, foster cultural understanding, end quote, of (laughs) Islam. In other words, he wants to push Sharia and Islam throughout universities. Yes, it does. And he wants to make everything it very, else. More comfortable. No, but he wants to make Islam uh, more comfortable. He wants to make it basically. We are at the point now. We're 15 years removed from 9/11 almost, uh, where Islam is still spoken about well by the cultural elites, by politicians, mm-hmm. by media, by entertainment, by college, by every single by comic books today. The scum comic books are still pushing us. Um, and by the way, uh, just if, if anyone reads comics out there, Peter David, the uh, the hack writer who wrote comics for years. I, I read him years ago. I liked him. I haven't read him in years. He said something about the uh, Center for Security Policy, Frank Gaffney's organization. He said that they openly say that they are out to get Muslims. And I had to really hit him hard about that. So if, people, if pe- if pe- so if people want to see you going after these cartoonists, they follow, follow you on Twitter to look at that? Yeah. Okay. Twitter. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, I, but I, yeah, I, if, if I said mention that. No, it's fine. If it, but it's a lot of us don't know who he is. Um, but yeah. if if yeah, if we go if you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you can see this story about Bin Talal, and the IBD editorial there that I've linked to chronicles a whole bunch of his past donations and the yeah. horrible causes, organizations, etc. Oh, to yeah. which. The donations have gone. So and these are just this, publicly, not behind the scenes. I mean, seriously, right. he, he's a brother, mother, brotherhood. Imagine, like, this guy is probably funded Al Qaeda. Who knows? Anything goes with this guy. Yeah, Anything telethons goes. for jihadism says Rob Abier is yeah. one of them. Uh huh. Yep. He, all, he also wears the uh, pizza tablecloth on his head with with cheese stuck on it and pizza sauce. <laughs> have you seen him? He, he, you know, when, when decides to wear pizza tablecloths. Yeah. Right? Okay, so. So let's let's get into the big. It's let's get into the big last question. <laughs> they were a piece of tablecloth on their head, but anyway. Okay, okay, but this is not a substantive criticism. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, let's look, man. If they if they weren't so dangerous, they would be laughing stocks. That's why they're dangerous. But anyway, go on. Uh, no, and I mean it is it is kind of. Um, let's let's just say it's an outdated style that he's wearing. Uh, so yeah. let's let's go on. So um, there is a new article that's being passed around this week, and it's called the headline is the Patriot Deception Killing Edward Snowden. And it's at rosselder.com. A friend of mine named Ed Maslish on Facebook shared this article, and it has generated quite a bit of discussion in the article. Um, Ross Elder argues that he uh, Snowden is in fact not a patriot, and he chronicles the excess collection of materials, collection of materials far beyond somebody with innocent, 
you know, uh, intentions would have. And then, of course, release of materials, damaging materials, damaging to good people materials that Snowden uh, engaged in or enabled and basically says, no, this guy, he's not a hero at all. He's a traitor. Now, he is. Ross Elder is sympathetic to the thing that most of us give Snowden credit for, which is that Snowden has, um, you know, generated debate about the bulk metadata collection programs and other mass, you know, bulk surveillance programs of the NSA. But he thinks that the stuff that Snowden did has gone far beyond what somebody who wanted to just expose that would have done. And so therefore we should condemn Snowden. And in fact, and the damage. What, well, and they, the and they, damage well, and, and then listen to this, listen to this. He says he thinks that Snowden at some point in the near future is going to be killed in Russia. And he thinks he this is the, the, the last what? line, based the last line desires, of his article. Um, just based on what will likely happen to him. And and, I, and maybe he's right about that, right? Because here's Snowden in Russia probably doing something at Putin's behest. Yeah, but one second, okay? What, yeah, but one second, okay? Right. People uh, thinking about Snowden's death want him to die. I mean, you no, and he, and he does. I, no, I but listen, gonna, listen, uh, you, didn't let, you didn't let me finish the, uh, the last line. So here, yeah, here's... Here's the last line. He says, the true American patriots will celebrate that day. We're going to celebrate you know the day that is. Snowden is killed? This guy's a piece of crap. Whatever, whatever you know, hard-on he has about, about, about Snowden, to say that? Right. I mean, Snowden has made us all cognizant of the fact our government is far worse than we thought it was. His doing this might bring down the entire NSA. Eventually. And I don't I don't know that it's ever going to bring down the entire NSA, but it may well, we'll indeed we'll be see. the death of the bulk metadata if, collection if program. Ever, if, if it's ever going to go down, it's because of Edward Snowden, not because of this this guy relishing Snowden's death. That's right. a piece of crap. And I'll tell you, that line right there, he condemned himself. He condemned himself and he outed himself. Yeah, I mean, you know, whenever people talk about okay, here's this bad person and I'm going to relish the fact that he died or something. Unless you think it's like the person, the, unless you think the person is Hitler or, yeah. and even, you know, okay, Osama bin Laden, horrible, horrible person. When he died, did I go and like cheer and celebrate? No, I mean, I, I, was like, I, I guess I, I guess I, I should have, but it it's, time. I felt it was about time, but sure, sure, sure. But this this celebration, I don't know. I feel I feel like if you're celebrating, you're you're like kind of reliving the horribleness too. I don't know. Maybe maybe I've I've got the wrong psychology. Hmm? No, look, civilized people don't go out there and relishing the death of people unless they're the scum of the earth. That is fine. Yeah. But what I'm saying to celebrate, it seems obscene almost, especially a guy like Edward Snowden. I mean, it just seems obscene. Right. And something wrong with, with that guy who's wishing that. And now, see, there are there there are some there are some people who have piled on and, and agreed in reaction to this article. And then there's others. And, and this is kind of the perspective that I'm more likely to agree with. This is Ed, who sometimes calls in and, and talks uh, with me here on the show. And he says, and this is a, I, again, this, this is kind of the approach that I agree with. He says there's much to agree with in this article. Uh, Snowden did, in fact, steal 
far too much information to simply inform the American people of the unconstitutional and illegal surveillance that was and is still going on. He says, yet to judge Snowden, one must evaluate him in the entire context of his life and the government's perfidy, um, not perfidy, because that's too many syllables, perfidy. Um, certainly, I don't perfidy, blame him yeah. for any, yeah, just perfidy, not perfidy. I'm, I'm adding extra syllables at this hour. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, certainly, I don't blame him, he says, for ending up in Russia. I'm sure he, he'd rather be anywhere else on Earth. But after of China course. made it clear, it's after China made it clear that he had to leave, there was no place that would accept him other than Russia. This was a mistake on the part of the U.S. government who should have made a deal with him early on to allow him to go, for example, to Iceland in exchange for a promise of cooperation in some way. But the U.S. government, he says, doesn't look at anything in a long-term fashion, just in the range of the moment emotional we have to get him fashion rather than a more strategic fashion. He says it's possible, you know, for Snowden to be both a hero and a traitor simultaneously. He says, life is well, extremely complicated at the best of times, even right. for people who adhere to a rational, principled philosophy. He says, Snowden seems like he wanted to do something good, and in so trying, did not only do good, but also a bunch of horrible things. He says, why is everyone surprised at this, given his background and youth? So it's a very balanced approach. Then there's another guy named Fine, Pete who comes on time, here. This, 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 this guy, Pete, comes on here, and he says... He says, no, Snowden is just one of these lost boy narcissists. And oh. then another guy comes on later and he piles on. He says, I ended up in Russia. Yeah. A yeah, supposedly. Um, and then and this other guy, Michael, this other guy, Michael says, I still can't believe the number of people on the right that have been swindled by the Snowden saga. So that basically <laughs> if we have been, you know, sympathetic with Snowden, we have been swindled. You look at Snowden, you listen to him, you read him. Uh, this is a serious man. Whatever yes. you think of him, this is a serious man who did a, something that he thought was the right move to make, and he knew the consequences. He knew he'd be in deep, deep trouble, but he knows he's not a criminal at the same time. He's not going to come here and say, okay, guys, you got me. And in terms of him being a quote-unquote traitor, look at the traitors in our government. Look what they've done. Look at the program, the NSA program that he railed against, that he exposed that's traitorous yep. to us. That is treason. Our government is treasonous. Yeah. I mean, whatever, it, whatever you want to say about him. Now, now, you might say that the other things that he's he's done outweighs. I mean, you again, this is a similar decision that we make in evaluating him and also evaluating Ted Cruz. Now, mind you, we didn't elect yeah. Snowden. Snowden elected himself, in effect. But if we're going to evaluate right. and judge Snowden... We're making a similar calculation as we are with Ted Cruz. These people are not perfect. They are actually far from perfect. But is the value that they have, you know, given us or that we expect that they might give us something that we believe today, you know, applying our principles that we we believe is, is worth the trade-off, so to speak. Because we do, we're, we're not dealing with these perfect individuals and we have to decide on what basis do we have to deal with them. Now, of course, if we thought Snowden was completely a nihilist, a real bad guy, then you shouldn't be no. dealing with him at all. Right. Well, um, there, okay. there was, there was, yeah, there was the, there was this debate at the conference apparently about whether objectivists could be classified under a broader classification of libertarians. 
And one thing that's clear is that if the broader classification of libertarians includes the anarchists who are, in fact, very nihilistic, then you don't belong in this broader classification at all because you couldn't even say that there's anything in common, right? But, I mean, you know, with a Snowden, do I believe he's actually a nihilist? I don't necessarily believe that about him. I I believe maybe that about a Greenwald, right? Greenwald, who he was unfortunate enough to get hooked in with. Um, I think of Snowden as making some bad choices and some bad choices that probably are costing us in various ways, but also making what I thought were some good judgment calls in, in, you know, with respect to his overall, at least stated mission. He made this, he made this a major issue and that's why we're talking about it. And that's, that's what he's done. And if we can really, really put this in its place, control it, bring it back down, knock it out, abolish it in the end, it's because of him. And that's important. And right. uh, this is something that, you know, the idea, that, I mean, he was, a, you know, out to destroy. I mean, he exposed something for us that we need to know. Our government, again, is far more corrupt than we thought it was. We knew it was corrupt, but now they're specifically more way in this particular issue because of him. Right. It's important to know. Right. And uh, hopefully, in the end, we can, uh, again, not knock it out and let the traitors in our government and, uh, get, get rid of them. I need, uh, I need to watch Citizen Four. So um, I am still thankful to Snowden for what he did. Am I glad that I haven't published my book on privacy yet so I still can decide what I want to say about Snowden in my book? Yes, I'm glad I can still decide about that. And I'm very glad that we can still decide what we think about Ted Cruz. I'm um, just to kind of, I, I didn't really fully wrap it up. I gave a hint of what I kind of am believing my view is. I do believe that in order for us to have a government that's based on principle that in the current instantiation of it it's got to be objective so that if you've got these principles in the constitution you can't have the idea that they can be there and that these there's going to be people that are going to enforce them against a full majority of people that don't subscribe at all and that this can go on for any long period of time so I don't know that I'm necessarily 100% dead set against the judicial retention amendment. I do recognize that it could be a danger, but I don't think that a person who advocates for it is necessarily completely bonkers and evil and wants to bring us to democracy and mob rule, for sure. From from Ted Cruz's position, they're already dangerous. That's what I think about this. They have become right. a dangerous part of government. They yeah. they're all in with the expansion of government, with the expansion of laws, with all these, right. with Obamacare completely. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this this right. this what they've done. This what they've done. Yeah, and 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 what it what this whole the whole thing brings us back to is the idea that what we have fundamentally is a cultural battle. What we're worried about is we're worried about what the majority of people in the culture believe and how bad what it you know that it is. And so I wanted to finish off with this story, and I think that you sent me this story, Bosch. Um, it is a, a daily caller story. A professor says that reason itself 
mm. is a white male construct. <laughs> That's right. Reason. Reason, our faculty, our human faculty of gaining knowledge is simply a, quote, white male Euro-Christian construction. How did it come to that conclusion? Through what, by, by what means? I mean, this is this is what we're well yeah that'd be very interesting you know some kind of proof or anything right so he he is essentially um, stealing the concept of reason in his attempt to destroy it so that's true but when we have a full out attack on reason um, this is I think our biggest enemy and this is what we need to. You know, we need to rehabilitate the reputation of reason. We need to get it back to the status that it was in the Enlightenment era. And so the way that I sort of finesse a kind of happy, uh, uh, you know, an up story to the end of the podcast, we want to sort of end something on a positive note here. The way that I finesse that today is simply by putting after this horrible story talking about a professor who says that reason is a white male construct a link to Ayn Rand's book philosophy who needs it and that book it's a cheap little paperback you can get on Amazon it has in it as one of the essays not only philosophy of who needs it and describes the necessity of going to fundamentals like this right I mean, imagine if we could get Ted Cruz 100% on board with reason as man's basic means of survival and the need to keep human beings free to act according to their own judgment. We'd be so far down the road. Um, It's also got the essay called Don't Let It Go, which is the essay after which this show was named. So I'm going to leave everybody with that for this evening. We're just about out of time. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bosch and John, for calling in and talking to me today. Thank you for everyone participating here in the chat room. And I will talk to you uh, next week, same time, Friday, 11 p.m. Eastern time. So take care, everyone. Have a good night.